Welcome back to Chit Talk, where we talk about really good shit. My name is Annika. And my name is Ruthu. Follow us on our socials, here to Chit Talk and Instagram for sneak previews, audio clips, and more. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Let's dive in. everyone we just wanted to let you know that this is a trigger warning for our listeners in this upcoming episode we will be discussing mental health extensively and touching upon themes of depression self-harm suicide grief and loss we want to ensure that we create a safe space for our listeners so if you're feeling overwhelmed or uncomfortable with the topic of discussion on this episode we kindly advise you to skip this one If you need to seek help or additional support, please call 833-456-4566 for the Canada Suicide Prevention Service. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Chit Talk. I thought you were going to say something more. Doesn't matter. It's okay. (laughs) Welcome back to Chit Talk. I'm so excited to introduce our new guest speaker today. Connor McCracken is a creative director who specializes in photography, videography, and motion graphics. But most importantly, I am so thankful to call him a good friend of mine. And in this week's episode, we'll be discussing mental health, the importance of opening up the conversation, and Connor's mental health initiatives slash projects. So thank you so much for hopping on and joining us today. Yeah, no problem. Happy to be here. I think, you know, you and I, we've been friends for around like two, three years almost, I think. And Mm -hmm. I think we knew each other like through Instagram and like through the Greek system because like, you know, you were very popular amongst the sororities and like taking their composite photos and going to formal events and all that. Um, But I didn't actually meet you until maybe a year or like or two, two years ago or something like that. But, you know, now we grab beers every now and then, like pre-COVID beers, obviously. So obviously before, before <laughs> uh, things changed and we were all in like lockdown and stuff. But I've always been so blown away by your photography and like your drone videography. And I thought that this was always something that you, you had studied in university. But then I realized that, you know, that was not the case at all. And that was more of like your passion. So I'd love to hear more about your story and how you became a creative director and photographer and on all these sorts of things. Yeah. So I guess right out of high school, I, uh, I went to the study in chemistry and physics and, um, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I still to this day really enjoyed it, but, um, about, uh, kind of two years in, I was dealing with my own mental health stuff and I was feeling uh, anxious and depressed and I wasn't kind of going to class. And it got to a point where I needed to kind of come home from being away at university and uh, get help back in Vancouver. And uh, in doing so, kind of had to um, public, I, I, I was embarrassed to do it. And I, I needed a friend who, uh, to tell me that it was okay to kind of go away. And so uh, right before I left, I kind of made this kind of public announcement that um, I uh, that I was leaving and that this was the reason it was my mental health. And um, uh, that kind of decision of me doing that led me to um, kind of realize that I was not the only person kind of in the world or amongst my friends or anything like that who was dealing with these kind of things. and. Um, in turn, over a kind of a couple of years, I wanted to 
um, tackle that problem. And that is kind of what introduced me actually to photography is um, trying to solve that um, problem of uh, mental health and people realizing that uh, they're not the only one struggling with that issue. Um, that, uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the, the Kickstarter for um, my whole creative everything. I've never, never, never taken an art course before in my life prior to that. And uh, I just knew I needed a way to kind of connect with people and a way to kind of tell people stories. And um, through there, or th since then, it's just been kind of trial and error of um, how the best way to tell someone's story is. And over the years, I've now kind of caught up in the training and caught up in the um, experience around there, but it definitely did not start that way. And it was kind of um, forced upon me um, to kind of go this direction. Um, it's interesting, I, I was considering recently going back to studying some more physics and studying some more math. So I definitely okay. have nothing against it. It's something I like, not like I walked away from it. It's mm -hmm. just, um, I had some more exciting things that I wanted to pursue at that time. Yeah. So I know that you've, um, you've helped develop these two really incredible mental health brands slash projects, one called Project Pilgrim and the other one called Worth Hats. Could you tell us a little bit more about these different projects? Yeah, so Project Pilgrim was was me and only me. And um, that was when I actually went back to school after getting help um, after um, my second and third year and uh, realizing that there's loads of people out there who um, have are are going through these things and no one's really open to talking about it it was it was several years ago it was 2015 2016 when people weren't really talking about mental health as much as they are nowadays mm -hmm. and I wanted a way to kind of allow people a platform or an opportunity to speak about their mental health and not it's not about um, their particular story but maybe their thoughts around it or the fact that they have any experience with it um, and so that is what that was. That was kind of a Humans of New York um, photo series where I ended up interviewing about 400 people wow. around the world um, to ask them about their mental health. And the whole kind of uh, crux or the whole peak of that project was doing this thousand kilometer pilgrimage in Spain um, wow. called the Camino de Santiago and interviewing everyone I met there about their mental health and publishing a book out of it. Um, so that was Project Pilgrim. And Worth Hats, I've been part of now for uh, over a year. And that is based in, uh, there's a guy named Ben Miller, who is the founder of Worth Hats. And Ben had a friend at business school named Jacob Worth. And Jacob, unfortunately, never had the opportunity to uh, attend counseling because he couldn't afford it and didn't know the resources. And so, unfortunately, Jacob took his life. And Ben, as a tribute, gave all of Jacob's family and friends a hat because Jacob really wanted to start a hat company. And years later, people started asking for more hats and um, Ben had the idea to kind of uh, continuing, continuing Jacob's legacy of making this hat company and having all the funds from those hats go directly towards paying for those who can't afford for counseling and therapy. And so to this day, that's still going. Um, Jacob passed away uh, not quite 10 years ago, but Worth Hats has been going for three or four years and uh, yeah, every year has been exponentially growing, um, which is great. 
Yeah, that's incredible. I, I know that Worth Hats Now has become such an incredible and like such a large brand on its own right now. So it's it's really like really incredible to hear that, you know, it's yeah, it's just come so far along and that's like really reached out to so many different people and just created that just openness and transparency with the conversations and creating counseling and these incredible resources for people as well. So that's wonderful. Definitely. Yeah, thank you. Um, and so I just want to switch gears just slightly and what steps, like, what are some things that you can tell us about, like steps that you took to become more comfortable about speaking out about your mental health and like, what ways can other people learn from this as well? So as I mentioned with me in the days that I was first speaking up about my own mental health experience, um, and what I was struggling with at that time, it was not a common thing. Um, being talked about. Um, mm -hmm. At the time, I was doing some volunteer work with the Provincial Health Authority in BC, and we were talking about how um, how we can increase mental health literacy around the province, how we can inform people what mental health is, and what mental illness is, and kind of what basic terms mean, and um, yeah, what all these different words, what does schizophrenia mean, what does eating disorder mean, what does all these words mean, and so there, was a, there wasn't even a baseline knowledge that many people had as to all these mental health things, and um, for me, uh, it took a friend uh, telling me that they were also going through something for me to feel the need to, one, get help for myself, and two, to also share with others, um, and then through out the Project Pilgrim project I did, um, for every single person that shared, decided decided to be, decided to share their story, um, they had a whole multitude of people reach out to them and reach out to me wanting to share their story as well. So um, as soon as one person shares, more people share. So there's kind of a, an exponential effect in people sharing um, what they're going through and their struggles they're going through. And I think that is, one reason why Project Pilgrim was so successful is because um, everybody wanted uh, a platform to share what they were going through. Uh, in terms of steps people can take to be comfortable to talk about it, um, I would say that uh, you don't need to have a big social media amount announcement like I did. I think way before that, I was having conversations with friends being like, nah, I'm not really doing okay. Mm -hmm. Like I stayed in bed all day. I... I uh, don't really want to go to class. I'm I'm struggling with this or this or that. And um, I think the biggest thing to help somebody uh, who's wanting to speak out is uh, to be a supportive friend for them because usually it's either friends or family who will hear or notice something, someone's going through something first. And based on how that person responds to them will be, will, will determine if they will seek help or if they will speak out about it or if they will kind of turn that switch off and try not to think about it for mm -hmm. a couple more weeks or a couple more months until it becomes a full meltdown or a, um, a breaking point that didn't really answer your question but I think it <laughs> no, did I think, I think it did yeah I think it definitely <laughs> I, did um because I know that people respond to help in different ways as well right so yeah. even though some people are trying their hardest to you know reach out for support they then in turn can just and our response to that in very different ways. So I think it really yeah. depends on the person as well. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, 
on taking that step forward into asking for help and asking for someone to like be there to be supportive and there to listen as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I, yeah, I resonate with that a lot because I, I had my own struggles with mental health when I was in high school. Um, and when I hit my breaking point, I just remember like so vividly and my best friend remembers the story too, because it's like, so memorable. One day I was just like smiling and walking down the hallway and I literally burst into tears for absolutely no reason because I just couldn't keep it together anymore. Um, and I couldn't, I feel like I felt a lot of shame in like sharing that with other people. And I think that's, that's one thing that I, to add on to your point is to like, not feel a sense of shame in being vulnerable Mm -hmm. with other people. I think that that's so important because Otherwise, you're going to have a full-blown meltdown like I did in the hallway when I was in high school. Yeah, and there's everyone has a different sort of breaking point, and everyone's breaking point might look a little different. Um, for me, my breaking point was I had an attended class in four weeks, and uh, I was like, I'm going to fail if I don't get help. And not that there's anything wrong with failing, but... I was at this decision point where I was like, I need to go get help or I'm going to like sit in my apartment for three months and have not done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone has a very different uh, experience of what their, what their rock bottom or what their, uh, what their uh, yeah, worst place is. I feel like we've sort of touched base on the uh, the last point there, but um, if you know a friend or if you know of a person who is just a little bit, I guess they're holding themselves back from being vulnerable and speaking out about, you know, their emotions and how they feel and what's what they're internalizing on the inside. How can we encourage them and our friends and our family to feel comfortable about speaking about their own mental health? That's an interesting point and uh, or interesting question. And I, uh, my first reaction, because it's something that I'm comfortable with, is if I can tell somebody is struggling with something, I will, I guess the counseling term is disclose, personal disclosure to them that of something that I've gone through and kind of showing that I've walked in their shoes and that I've gone through what they've gone through. Obviously, not everyone's comfortable with that. And that is what I found works for me and what I'm comfortable with. But obviously, for every situation that doesn't, that doesn't apply. Um, in terms of kind of encouraging someone else to speak out, another way to do, or another way to help them is to show them uh, success stories of people who have reached out and have kind of gotten to that next step from where they are mm-hmm. and have gotten the help and um, have lived to tell the tale kind of thing. Um, one of the reasons, again, the whole Project Pilgrim thing was uh, worked the way it did was that so many of the stories uh, were not someone struggling at that exact moment, but it was saying, oh yeah, when I was a kid, this happened, or I'm, I went through this, or my dad 10 years ago went through this, or my sister is going through this. And many of the stories that people decided to share were success stories. And those success stories then inspired so many others to share mm-hmm. um, and gave people that confidence that they could also speak up about Um, or they could also get help um, because other people were speaking about it. That's great. You're going to have to link us the, uh, the book as well. I don't think I've had the chance to, to look at the book just yet, but I'd love to take a look. (laughs) Yeah. I, uh, 
my only confession about the book is that I I did the book before I went to design school, and so it's not. Oh my goodness! My favorite. <laughs> we don't care about thing that. In the it's world. fine. It's uh, yeah. It's. I would love to redo it someday, but at this moment, when I look at it, it makes me cringe in many ways. But <laughs> the idea behind it is nice. Uh, I'm it's the sure, thought that counts. No, yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think the stories in themselves are going to be so, so much more valuable. Like it doesn't matter what the package mm-hmm. that it comes in, right? As much it's as content, like Annika and I counts. both can, can like empathize with not being content with what our like projects look like. Mm-hmm. So we're there, but the content has to have helped so many people. I think just kind of piggybacking off of what you said too, is that um, I feel like reaching out to those people and you can uh, let me know how that went. But when you were interviewing all of these different people, was some of them the first time that they were sharing these stories? Did you like, was it a way for you to hold space for those people to actually share and be vulnerable with you? Or um, did you run into people that was just sharing their stories all the time? So I guess all of those all of the above. Um, The project started off with me talking to friends who I knew would be comfortable talking about it, who I knew would be um, open with sharing, who had shared with things with me before or shared publicly about these kinds of things before. Um, But you eventually run out of those connections and you then start reaching out to strangers or asking people on the street. Or in my case, when I was on that thousand kilometer pilgrimage, walking with someone for a day from Brazil and you hardly have any kind of language like between each other because of the language barrier and um, kind of figuring out a translation or figuring out some way to ask them what do you think about mental health this is why I'm doing this pilgrimage this is why I'm doing this hike is to interview people from all around the world Um, so just to answer your question, there was, it started off with people who I knew were comfortable until I knew what I was doing. Um, but I found that uh, I just started at a certain point, I was just in like messaging strangers. I would ask people in public. I'd ask just very obscure connections to me, mutual friends. And uh, I think the best part about the whole thing was that I couldn't find anybody who said no every single person had something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, not, not everybody shared about themselves, but everybody had something to share about it or some some idea or some experience with it. And that showed me that every single person I had in my life, whatever amount of connections away from me, um, had been exposed to mental health or mental illness or any of these issues at some point in their life. And why was nobody talking about it? So that's really why I was trying to um, push it as much as I could so more people would speak about it. And I I think that we're kind of on a trajectory to people really paying attention to mental health, just 
like now looking forward because there are so many like companies that focus on wellness, like better help and online counseling companies to make uh, counseling more accessible to people, um, especially people that can't afford them or can't go to counselors specifically, especially because of COVID. And like, there's a lot of focus on betterment of your mental health because a lot of people are working from home because of COVID mm-hmm. during the pandemic. And like, I work at a life coaching company. So, um, you know, I'm seeing an influx of people that want to coach others and help them through this tough period that they're going through and also get coached themselves. So what do you think like from now, or what have you noticed from now looking forward into the future, how people are going to discuss or interact with mental health? So the first thing I'll say about that is actually uh, a couple months uh, when I was first kind of volunteering with Worth Hats is Worth Hats actually has a relationship with BetterHelp. And really, um, that relationship was only created once COVID begun. And so how Worth Hats used to operate is that we would have somebody come reach out to us saying, I can't afford counseling. Can you figure out or help me help me help me with the solution and our we had, we had a set of criteria where they had to meet where they couldn't afford it and they weren't in an emergency and um, they had tried some other options or tried some discount clinics and all that stuff like that uh, because we were had such limited funds and uh, right after kind of COVID began we uh, did our first ever kind of PR campaign that we had a uh, partnership with BetterHelp that BetterHelp would be um, kind of providing online counseling and online online therapy um, through us uh, to anybody who kind of needed it and anybody who wanted it who couldn't afford counseling. And uh, this like this kind of whole PR campaign happened maybe like a week after the initial lockdown last year. And um, just to kind of show the demand of it, we typically were having maybe five to ten requests for counseling. Um, prior to that. And it, I think everybody realized that this COVID thing was going to be around for a while. Mm-hmm. Everybody realized that working from home is going to suck and um, everybody's going to need some help. And so we had a thousand percent increase in requests for counseling. Wow. And we had oh, wow. like a thousand people apply for counseling in a week. Holy That's crap. <laughs> Which was a very frightening time for us because yeah. we're all volunteer run and we haven't sold enough hats to pay for people's counseling. Um, but we were able to sort out a relationship with BetterHelp and we've been able to provide counseling to every single person who's applied in the last year, um, which is great. So my opinion on online counseling and online therapies and kind of the move towards those Mm -hmm. um, is a great one because we've heard tons of great feedback through uh, about BetterHelp and through kind of our um, paying for their um, sessions. And uh, I personally never attended online counseling or online therapy. Um, I've done it in person, but um, I've only heard great things. And I think that, especially in the last couple of years, when there's a lot more of a movement towards um, wellness and taking care of yourself and self-care and all that, I think um, there's a lot more demand for people looking for something like counseling, um, as well as coaching, as you mentioned. Uh, I think there's a big demand in uh, people reaching out for People, people reaching out for help, which maybe they wouldn't have had before. 
Yeah, totally. I, I completely agree. I actually, before this call, I just typed into Google COVID and mental health, and it comes with a whole list of um, just various resources and then a whole list of items to help you just like um, really brief outlines to help you um, just like calm yourself down and be, you know, one with yourself and, and just to, you know, pause and breathe and reflect and just to, um, yeah, just to really feel those emotions and just to remind yourself that you should connect with others, you know, keep a healthy routine and to be kind to yourself and others. And then we also provide a hotline at the bottom as well. So I think because of COVID, people are acknowledging this a lot more now than ever, which is really great. And, um, you know, if you scroll it down a little bit more, uh, the government of BC also posts an entire link with just various resources um, to, to help people reach out for supports, especially for free and low counseling as well. Um, so they suggest like Wellness Together Canada and BC COVID Mental Health Network that provides accessible phone-based support, which I've never done before. But I feel like if it's more accessible to people, then people would be more inclined to to reach out and to, um, you know, um, get that support. And they've also provided um, support to healthcare workers as well as young adults and youths as well. So I think, you know, there's a whole range of resources that people can just look into. And I think that's become more known in the past year. And I think that's progressively going to become even larger going forward, especially like you mentioned before, how everyone's working from home and, you know, everyone's being stuck in their small apartments with, um, you know, themselves or with a significant other but it's just yeah we're we're on the same ruts we're on the same boat right now but I think I'm hoping that things will get better in terms of um people wanting to reach out and to to get that support that they need on that note um I'm not quite sure I think it was it was pre-COVID for sure but uh the BC government has come out and provided uh online counseling online therapy to mm-hmm. all BC postgrad or uh, Posts, what's the term like the term I'm looking for? The BC government has come out to support all post secondary students for counseling and therapy online. Mm-hmm. And um, there's 24 7 access now for anybody who's a registered student in the province, as well as with COVID um, started in when COVID started in April, um, that was expanded to uh, a whole new referral service and kind of it was, it was expanded on from a limited amount of resources to now they've kind of moved their whole system online rather than having any in-person things because of the in-person issues with COVID. That's awesome. That's really, really great to hear. I, I had absolutely no idea. I, I, I mean, I feel like the easier, the more accessible it is for people and the more resources are more readily available to people, they're more likely to use it. Mm -hmm. Um, And on top of that, I just wanted to say that I feel like um, the more of like it being more at the forefront of even the government allows people to normalize talking about mental health and actually actively doing something about it. Um, I once, uh, I don't remember, I think this was in a counseling session or, or somebody that was uh, telling me that I should consider going to counseling um, and Um, one of the things that they said is, you know, everyone goes in for a yearly physical for their body, right? But why don't they just go to talk to someone to have a mental checkup too? Because that's just as important, like mind Mm -hmm. and body are one, they're connected, right? And um, one of the things that I've been learning uh, at my workplace too, is that oftentimes people don't have that connection, they don't have that 
person to communicate and connect to. And oftentimes these coaches, these counselors and therapists and like psychologists, they're all the people that the only people that listen to these people in their lives. Right. And so I think, first of all, just a mini shout out to all the people that are working in mental health professions, because they're also doing the most right now for Mm -hmm. everyone Mm -hmm. that's going through stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think like you mentioned previously as well, I think just bridging the, the gap between mental health as well as uh, working from, well, not necessarily like working from home, but like bridging the gap between um, mental health as well as the organizations and companies that you're currently working with as well. Um, because I think it's really, really important to highlight this and just to make sure that, you know, even though people are working like nine to fives or like even 10 hour work days, like it's just so hard to keep a balance with like your own routine and to stay connected with your friends, even though you're like working day in and day out. And so, um, I'm very grateful to have a workspace that really holds this, um, highly and really, you know, makes it important for everyone. And so we have weekly huddles every single Wednesday, um, for about an hour. And so we had, we recently had a three week mental health huddle presentation and we would begin each session with like a guided meditation. And so we would like turn on this little, um, this really short, like one minute long sound bite. And we would like, listen to this guided meditation. We'll do some like deep breathing exercises just to calm ourselves down. And to just, it's just like a nice way to start the day, um, every Wednesday morning. So, you know, I'm very grateful to, to be surrounded by, you know, friends and family and, um, coworkers as well that all, um, they're all trying to just open this conversation and just try to, um, provide support in any means that they can. Definitely. I, uh, as a self-employed person, sometimes I struggle finding a, uh, uh, I, I struggle carving out time in my day for things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think pre- previous to COVID, my kind of what would, what would calm me down, what would center me would be socializing. And that conveniently doesn't work out during COVID. No. Um, so it's, it's, it's been interesting <laughs> Um, as someone who kind of uh, works myself and kind of will work all hours of the day to work a project um, and kind of those that like work-life balances um, it's really really big giant one giant big gray area Um, it's been interesting to kind of take back my time to um, be able to kind of do those things and be able to take care of myself um because there's, yeah, there's only so much somebody can do before they uh, go a little crazy. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely been there, but sorry, go ahead, Ruthu. No, I was just going to say that oftentimes like that work-life balance is extremely lopsided. Like I can speak from experience myself, like being completely worked to the bone to the point where Mm -hmm. they're like literally squeezing blood from a stone (laughs) and the stone being me (laughs) and completely overworked with no prioritization of mental health period. Like, uh, you know, they're like here, you know, go for a walk, do this, do that. And I'm like, great. Can I have some time off to actually just be and rest? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think a lot of people right now, especially with COVID working from home and everything, um, they've gone into hyper-efficiency mode and people haven't even had a chance to just like put, pump the brakes and just actually exist outside of work Absolutely. because they're working in their like home space 
right? And one of the things that I enjoyed the most about uh, about going to work or going to a workplace was that I was able to separate my spaces and I felt like I was doing different things <laughs> and now everyone's in the same space. Right. And, okay. um, I'm sure, I'm sure that, um, like it, before pre COVID that you felt the same way, even working for yourself, right. Being at home versus going to the studio, um, and actually having that compartmentalization of your different lives. Right. It, in my brain, I do, I say this as I'm about to move into somewhere where I'm about to not do this, but um, <laughs> I, I usually do bad studying from home or working from home. And I will gladly kind of fork up the money to, to pay to work somewhere, whether it's a co-working space, whether it's a desk somewhere, whether it's a, um, an actual studio space or an office. I, in my brain, I just, I work so much more efficiently when I'm not at home, um, I get very distracted by everything. And um, I say this, but as I mentioned before, before this, that I'm actually moving into a, a two bed with, with a home office. So we'll see how that goes. But um, I am, uh, yes, I'm, I'm very familiar with kind of needing to separate those two parts in my brain and, um, and being able to kind of walk away from work and being like, I'm done for the night. Um, and kind of not starting until I am physically there. Yeah, yeah. I, I find it like really tough as well. It is very ch- challenging for myself as well, just because like I live in this small, like 480 square foot studio. And then I just have these like little slidey doors here just to, you know, have as boundaries from like my office space, which is like where I'm seeing you guys right now. And then having my bed just like literally two meters away. So it's very hard to like, have that boundary and just have that exactly you got your bed and background perfect example I am literally in my closet as we speak yeah, like my exactly. desk is in my closet exactly but it's just so hard to have that divide between like you know unplugging after the day and just you know saying okay I'm done for the day I I need to focus on something else I need to focus on myself my friends just you know my family cooking and whatever and just having that sort of sense of routine um but yeah I, I you know I've been talking to other co-workers and I I've been saying how, you know, we don't even take lunch breaks anymore because we just, you know, make food or we go out to grab some food and we come back and sit down and we just continue to work. And it's just, it's so crazy how we just don't even make time for ourselves for like short walks anymore. Um, but I think it's so crucial that we need to to do that and take our time, take time for ourselves too. And I was talking to a, um, a coworker of mine about vacation days as well, because I feel like a ton of people are just hoarding up their vacation days. You know, we're just hoping that, you know, in due time, COVID's going to be over, it's going to blow over, everyone's going to go traveling again. And we're just hoarding up all these different vacation days. And that's just not the case anymore. So she told me, actually, it was Elam. She told me, you need to take your vacation days. Like, you know, it's such a, like, I was going to say blessful, but I mean, bless. It's such a bliss, just like sleeping in, taking time for yourself and just having a, a me day and just taking your vacation days now. Cause when are you going to take your vaca- vacation days? Like, when are you going to have time for yourself otherwise? And yeah. you know, that really struck a chord with me. And I was like, damn, I should really take <laughs> some like Fridays off sometime soon. So girl, yeah. last year, I think I took like one vacation day. And then I, I didn't take any time off until I quit my job and I started yep. my new one. There you go. I, I yeah. just didn't because I was just working nonstop, mm-hmm. but, um, kind of going back a little bit, Connor, have you noticed that 
um, companies have tried to, or just large corporations in your experience or in your network, have you noticed that people have been trying to promote mental health and wellness during this time or even before? Are they, were they trying to push that initiative along at all? I think when I think back to, so uh, my, my background, I've also worked in a kind of an agency setting um, where I worked as a motion designer. I was over in the UK. And when I think about when I was working there, um, that company was very unique in that it was actually an employee owned agency. So every employee was actually a partner and we had a profit share that all the money that oh, from wow. the end of the year, we all got to split it at the end. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's more complicated than that, but <laughs> that's a, that's a broad overview as to what an employee owned business is. And um, with that, we got to kind of vote on a bunch of things. And if we wanted to vote on our, on adding benefits that we all get X amount of counseling hours, or we get X amount of massages a month, or we get X amount of whatever, we could just have a vote. And then it's, it's, the, it's happening. It's, it's now happening in the company. Um, and so I think being in an environment like that, as kind of my first, I'll say big corporate job, I think really was a relief because I mm-hmm. know many people who have worked at other agencies in kind of a creative space and just been like kind of worked to the bone and um, without uh, anybody kind of speaking up for them or any, any, any supports. And not that I wasn't worked to the bone, but um, having at least um, the, the voice in kind of speaking up for yourself saying, I need, I need help or I need this to make my performance better or I need um, like as a company, we realize that like we need to provide like a flex hour in the morning or uh, unlimited time off where you can take like a sick day or a mental health day. And those were things that we actually added while I worked there was we had a, a policy, unlimited time off that if somebody was, um, as long as they were kind of performing and as long as they were kind of completing their tasks, they theoretically could take off any day they want to because we wanted to allow everybody to be able to kind of take the space for themselves that, that they needed to. That's so, really great. Uh, in terms of other organizations, a lot of companies are realizing that as well. I think at the very beginning of COVID, a whole bunch of people either got engaged or pregnant or broke up or got a new job or all those things. And I think there was a huge, people realized that they were unhappy with their jobs. Mm. Um, and a lot of people I know uh, had walked away from their jobs. And I think a lot of companies realized that, oh, we need to take care of our employees. We can't kind of, um, we can't kind of work them to the bone and we need to improve there. So I think those, those movements are happening, but I think it's only because uh, as a world or as a society, because we're forced to work from home, we're now realizing that kind of we were worth more than not being supported. Absolutely. I think they're very different companies that have very different mindsets as well. Like Ruthu and I have a really good friend who works um, at a very large company who has, um, you know, it's it's obviously like accounting based and like less creative based and um, they really do work them to the bone and they don't take a lot of like time off. And, you know, our poor friend, he's like working till wee hours in the morning to like literally 11 p.m. And it it saddens me to see him so upset and like so worked and just mentally exhausted every single day. And it's just, 
I, I just wonder if that would change in like larger corporations where, you know, you're just a minute gear just in the cogs of the entire organization compared to like smaller, more granular and more intimate companies that actually listen to their employees and just um, care for them as well. And like my company right now, we're implementing mental health days and like bonus days. So we get, I think about roughly 10, like more Fridays off within the year or like, I guess like from last year going into this year. So for an entire like full COVID year of like working from home, we've been implementing um, some bonus days so that people can just take it off as like a mental health day and just like, you know, sleep in and do whatever they need to do um, just to feel rested for the upcoming week. And that's been really, really great. But also at the same time, we've had a lot of um, people who, you know, reevaluate what they're doing right now. And they decide like, okay, maybe this is not where I need to be right now because of COVID. Like maybe I want to like be closer to home. So I just want to leave work and then, you know, go back home to, to where I was originally, or maybe this is not exactly what I want to do. I'm going to reevaluate what I'm going to be doing right now. And maybe I'll, you know, start studying again. So I completely agree with you where COVID's really been a time where people are just, just realizing things, <laughs> not trying to quote, quote Kendall Jenner and Kylie, but it truly is just um, a whole year where everyone's just evaluating what they're doing now and, and where they see themselves, you know, a year, two years, three years down the line, because this has been such a, such a changing time for everyone. On that note, I, I remember when I first started kind of working in an agency corporate environment, I, uh, I always would stay late. I'd always work extra hours and it, it, like beyond what was expected of me. Obviously, if there's a big deadline or something, you can, you can mm-hmm. toss your hat in and uh, help out. But um, I thought that it would kind of further my job or further my, mm-hmm. further my, right. uh, where I'm going to be, I might get a pay raise because I worked 10 hours extra this week or whatever. Um, I worked on a Saturday and uh, especially in a junior position, those are not <laughs> decisions you should be doing. That's no, your, your boss is not looking at how many overtime hours you've done and judging your position or judging your pay on those things. Um, you're essentially donating your time to the company and that's your decision if you want to do that. But um, don't burn yourself out to potentially maybe sort of maybe one day get a bonus or get a get a job um, promotion. Um, those things are not reflective of the kind of extra hours you put in where you think somebody might notice. I needed to hear that. Thank you. <laughs> Capitalism, baby. Am I right? At its yeah. finest. I know. <laughs> That was really valuable. No, I actually like needed to hear that because I do find myself just, you know, working way till 9 p.m. sometimes. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to, I need to cut this shit, you know, like I need to I'm glad you, stuff you and... heard it from Connor because you won't listen to me. <laughs> no, no, because I hear it all the time. So I got to hear it from someone else. <laughs> and obviously like get your, get your things done, but don't, mm-hmm. don't go too far above and beyond. Like Absolutely, I'm not saying yeah. don't do your job. I'm saying, yeah, don't expect 
rewards for the ridiculous amount of extra hours you put in. Um, and I, I was just going to say, I think it's about setting really clear work boundaries for yourself, mm -hmm. right? Um, and just working within that. And I think there's nothing wrong with just saying like, I work and working is part of my life, but it isn't my entire life because it's so, it's so hard. And I know like Annika, you resonate with this too. I don't know about you, Connor, you can let me know, but like, I used to put a lot of my worth in the work that I was doing mm -hmm. and it like equally tanked my mental health when I wasn't doing so hot at work and I was getting mm -hmm. burnt out. And then as a result, I was like, Oh, fuck. like I need to, like, I need to work even harder, but I was only getting more burnt out. And mm -hmm. then when I started drawing lines in the sand being like, Hey, this is what I should be doing. This is what I'm paid to get done and started just trying to work within that time. And then they said, well, you know, why are you not getting more done in this short amount of time? People also on a tangent, people also think you're somehow more available when you're working from home and they think that you're working all hours of the day, all the time. And it's like, no, nah, that's not how it's working. Mm -hmm. um, I just got slacked just now. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> this is, this is podcast time. Sorry guys. I but, just got a text. Yeah. About work. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you but go. My, my whole point is that like, when when people push you to work more or harder outside of those lines that you've drawn for yourself i think it's like okay well then pay me more or you know hire more people or just anything like that and i think it's about setting those clear lines and boundaries for yourself that's something that i learned so that's why i keep saying it something i'm still learning to this day so gotcha. yeah. um just going back uh for a second so I just want you to participate in this dreaming exercise with me, Connor. So what would you like to see in your, in your idealized world where mental health is made a priority by people, right? So in the next like three to five years, what would you love to see for people, the community as a whole, when it comes to mental health, whether it's, you know, offering more free counseling or anything like that, like your ideal version of what that looks like what that would what would that look like to you this isn't a really direct answer to your question but um this is the funny answer I, i'm i'm <laughs> i'm new to tiktok and i am uh i am uh <laughs> we love tiktok here <laughs> many, many many millennials are yeah new exploring tiktok nowadays and i am so impressed with how the generation below me is um so open seemingly with mental health. And I know there's a lot of dark humor on there as well, but, but um, I think there has been some sort of shift in thinking about the topic and thinking about kind of everything from um, how they take care of themselves and what they're worth and um, how, more, how much more involved they are with uh, a lot of things going on. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is like, with politics and elections and how 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 involved they are when I think when many millennials were their age they kind of weren't aware of what the issues were um, and so I think there there already is a shift into in the right direction which is which is great um, but if I could picture a a perfect utopia where there's a everyone is happy and at ease um, I think that everybody would be able to um, 
access mental health care without any barrier, it being money or time or um, platform or um, kind of stigma or shame or any sort of prejudice. And uh, for people to be able to get the care that they need um, without kind of a ridiculous wait time or a uh, um, or one bad nurse or one bad counselor to kind of turn them off of getting help. Um, and I think uh, one of the first steps towards that is kind of everybody as a society, as a group, um, being more open, talking about this kind of stuff every single day. Um, and so to me, in my limited TikTok knowledge, uh, Gen Zs seem to be doing pretty good at that. So we're in, we're in the right direction. Um, so as soon as I'd say Gen Zs are in charge of everything, things should be good. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so Everything too. would also be very chaotic, chaotic. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just, I can just imagine them like doing the whoa and like doing TikTok dances while like, <laughs> I don't know, being a teacher or being like, you know, a therapist. <laughs> well, I, I hope not, but <laughs> I, I do agree. I think things are going in the right direction. You know, as and Annika, maybe you can resonate with this too, but like, I feel like the way that I was raised and in the community that I was raised in, um, there's still very much a huge societal stigma, especially around talking about mental health, seeking mental health um, or early, mental health help um, in any way. And I just think that it's so prevalent to this day to the point where like people are still struggling to mm -hmm. even ask for it or even say if they're having a bad day to be like oh no no it's fine it'll like it'll be fine or they like brush it under the rug do you does that resonate with you at all I I completely agree I think like especially in Asian cultures um growing up growing up in Singapore especially um you know it's just such a taboo topic not many people want to discuss at all and I know in my family like it would almost become not necessarily gossip, but people would look down on people who have, you know, had a history of mental illness, for instance, or if they're trying to get help, like they think that's is like, this is really bad, but it, it really shouldn't be the case at all. And I'm honestly hoping that, you know, going back to your point about like seeing society in three to five years ahead from now, I'm really hoping that in Asian cultures, especially in Southeast Asia, that people would be more open to having these discussions and that hopefully people in Gen Z would also just be more open to this and just acknowledge the fact that mental health is just as important as physical health. Um, and I, I also just want to address something that you did post recently on your Instagram story, Connor, because um, I think you... <laughs> No, 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 you, you, so <laughs> no, 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 you post this like really, this really, um, this close friends content that you're sharing. Publicly? No, no, no. I don't think it was at all, but, um, you posted something that really resonated with me and I thought it was very interesting because I used to grow up in Japan as well. 
Um, and I think the article was along the lines of like, you know, in Japan, more people passed away from suicide in the last month than from COVID all in 2020. And women have been impacted most. And I just want to take some time to address this, just because I think a lot of the factors that came to play to that was like long working hours, school pressure, societal um isolation and cultural stigma and I was looking more in depth into the article as well and I think in cultures where they they really hold um like collectivist countries and people who really value group ideals I think there is a lot of cultural stigma around that and around mental health issues and I think those have been like contributing factors to that and not until we sort of break that down then we can, you know, really move forward and help people and reduce the amount of people who are, you know, being pressured by society and being restrained and not, you know, reaching out for help and stuff. So yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think that hopefully in a few years down the line that this would change for, for, um, um, Asian cultures and other people living in, in Southeast Asia. Two comments about that is, one, that article um, came from a friend of mine who is actually doing her master's of public health at UBC and okay. was able to land her practicum um, at a university in Japan um, about mental health and like instilling wow. mental health around the country. Oh and um, it's been really cool to see. She's been there since the beginning of January to see all the stuff that she's learning and the conversations mm. that we're having about how mental health is kind of discussed or not discussed or um, interpreted or any any of that within um, Japan and Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really excited to see kind of several months down the line when she comes back, kind of what she has all to say, because I think she's doing some really cool research with the university there. Um, that's part one. And then part two, um, just to kind of cap off that conversation about um, how families uh, and cultures uh, interact with mental health. Um, Just a a comment about that all is uh, I was not the first person in my family to kind of be open about a mental health issue. I actually had a sister who uh, several years before I, um, several years before I kind of started struggling with anything was diagnosed with an eating disorder. And that was the first kind of wake up in my family as to what mental health was. Um, And because of that, I knew kind of how the healthcare system worked. I knew um, all the different ways to access care. I knew what the different processes were for treatments. I knew there was counselors, therapies, I knew all that stuff. And even though I knew all those things, um, it still was incredibly challenging for me to get help. And so I think that um, I was extremely lucky that my family um, was very uh, open with these kinds of things because they knew about my sister. I think for me, struggling was still a surprise to them, but um, being able to have that kind of baseline knowledge as to how the system works and how you get help and what the, what the timelines are and what kind of processes are and how all the treatments work was a huge asset to me um, for uh, essentially from the day that I said, I need help. Like three days later, I saw a family doctor and I got a referral. And then I was like two weeks out from seeing my first therapist. And like, that was just like, I knew this is the exact way how you enter the system. And only because I knew I had a sibling who went through the system. And so I think, um, somehow 
every family in Canada and the world needs to understand um, mm. when things like this do happen, what the processes are so that they can get help that quickly. Because um, I'm super lucky that I was able to get into help that quickly and that easily. Um, and the fact that there was a therapist available and all those things, there's so many other factors there. Um, but I think that's a huge step is having the culture and having the family kind of up to snuff on their mental health awareness and mental health knowledge. To add to that, I was actually, as you were talking, Connor, I was thinking about what it would look like if it, if there was a priority placed on it in like our like health and sex ed classes, like in that whole like planning 10 or whatever we do when we're in high school to talk about sex ed or drugs or everything that we also address mental health with like a high degree of importance. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, that could even make a huge difference as well. Um, and just to touch on the cultural thing, once again, I think that you know, I'm trying to, I'm a very solution oriented person. I'm trying to think of like, okay, what, what is the root issue, right? There's a lot of shame. And I think that instead of shame, if we come from a place of like love and understanding that I think that it can, it can host a lot of opportunity for growth and development in people, especially when it comes to mental health. I sound like I'm coaching right now, but like, that's very much the case, right? Um, and I just wonder what the world would look like or how much further along they would be in destigmatizing mental health if people came from a place of like grace and understanding, right? Mm -hmm. I, I do just want to ask because you did mention that, you know, it's quite the process to get started with finding the right counselor and, and, you know, diving in deeper into seeking help. I, I worked with, I think, someone that you know, Rithu, um, mm -hmm. as like a counselor, and she was just starting up, but I don't think that she was the right fit for me, um, nor did she contact me back afterwards. So I just found that a little bit bizarre. How do you know that you found the right person to speak to and to have as a, as a main guidance or a main support um, individual to, to help with, um, um, with counseling? I guess... Um... For me, I have been lucky enough that the uh, few times that I have had to go um, for kind of a, a sessions of therapy or for, for a period of time is that um, that relationship has either already been there for me or that uh, our first kind of meeting went well and we both kind of understood that um, what they could offer me and that, uh, that they agree that we would be a good fit. Mm -hmm. And I know many, many, many counselors will offer like a free 20 minute intro um, session to kind of talk about what you want to talk about and kind of talk about what their approach is and what their method is and um, to t essentially see if they're a good fit for you. And I think many counselors will be very open saying like, I don't really think that we're going to be a good fit. Like, I don't know if your, I don't know if my way of treatment and my way of um, helping people is what you're looking for and what you need. And that usually ends up with a referral, but obviously getting bounced around all mm. over doesn't help. Um, with platforms like BetterHelp, for example, um, one of the big major benefits of it is that you can go in and you can kind of drill right down as to what you're looking for. So you can say, for example, like for me, I'd say I'm a male, I'm 26, I 
am um, I'm looking for help for social anxiety, and um, I'm open to talking to anybody in any age. And some of my interests are hiking and photography and biking. And uh, they have an algorithm that would then show you people that would uh, like resonate with those kind of criteria. And mm. you can then have that kind of free 20 minute chat with each of these people. Um, so I think one of the biggest benefits of having that online kind of database of counselors is that you can see all this information about counselors and you can kind of filter um, by kind of what okay. you think you're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously some people don't know what they're looking for. So um, it doesn't really work in that situation, but um, I, we've heard a lot of good feedback from people who have used that tool um, that they have found what they're looking for based on mutual interest and based on um, kind of age and sex and all that stuff for what they would feel most comfortable talking to. Yeah, that's really interesting because like, I feel like as that was my first um, instance of having a counselor or just, you know, openly talking to someone about, um, you know, PTSD or like any past traumas that I had, um, I felt like there was definitely some sort of disconnect between me and her. And so I didn't feel like we had any sort of connection. And so that sort of you know, pushed me away from seeking other counselors and taking this forward to see like, okay, maybe there are other people out there for me that, that could provide that support in different means or could be, you know, more beneficial for me and like a connection. But yeah, I think that's really interesting. I might have to take you up on that, like, um, offer slash like research, um, to, to look into that. That's, help. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's good to know though. That's, that's really, really valuable. So thank you for that. I, I tell like when I've matched with, um, when I know I fit well to counselor, you, it, you feel like the connection, you feel that mm -hmm. it works and you're not trying to impress them. You can be honest that we honest with them and they, um, like, yeah, you can tell when a relationship is working and there's no shame in saying, oh, this isn't really working. I think counselors get that all the time. Mm -hmm. And you shouldn't let one bad relationship with a counselor or one bad counselor prevent you from uh, getting help because there's millions and millions of people out there uh, out there who can help you. I just can't believe I got ghosted, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I was actually, so, I mean, we mentioned like very early on in our conversation, but we were talking about like rock bottom or like hitting a point where you should seek out help, but you know, how is someone that is going through a mental health crisis or someone that is struggling with their mental health, how, and when do we know how to reach out or ask for help? Like what, what are the feelings that you get when you should be asking for help to counter that question I, I i have a car that doesn't have bluetooth or doesn't have auxiliary so i have to listen to the radio and um i was listening to the radio a couple of weeks ago and i was driving into work or something like that and they were talking about counseling and it was some conversation with like a, one of their partners about how they were like, what? Like you, you haven't gone to counseling before. Like everyone I know has gone to counseling. What are you talking about? Like, like, <laughs> that's like, that's like, that's like the weirdest thing I've ever heard. And I think the outcome of that conversation was that um, it's, it's like, it, I think it used to be in our minds very rare for someone 
to go to counseling. But mm-hmm. nowadays, I think it's very rare for someone to have never gone to a counselor or that's to right. never have sought yeah. help. And mm-hmm. um, like, that's now like the weird, like stigmatized thing. Like you haven't seen a counselor, like what's <laughs> like, what's working for you? Like what, what is happening in there that you're like all good. Um, we're all a little broken inside. And uh, amen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to then go back to your question is that uh, I think the best part about counseling and getting help is that um, like it can be a proactive solution rather than like a reactive solution and getting help even when you're doing good and um, kind of figuring out what your baseline is, what, where, why you're feeling good and kind of why you're doing okay um, can help you in the future when um, things aren't going okay, when things aren't working out in your life. And um, so I would say there's, it's never too early to go to counseling and um, no counselor will ever have nothing to talk to you about. Um, there's always, there's always so many things you can do to help yourself and things that can be um, talked about or kind of recommended to you. And um, I would say that if you are someone who is at a point who is debating, do I need counseling or not? You probably need counseling. If people, if people who are, if people who are like doing totally okay are going to go see a counselor, like there's absolutely no shame in not being okay and going to see a counselor. That is um, kind of what uh, counselors are there to like walk with you through life. They're not just there for your worst days. And you can have a lot less worse days um, if you see a counselor before you're at your kind of your wits end. Um, and I know there's a lot of barriers to counseling, like financials and time. And um, there's plenty of counselors out there who offer discounted services or there's grants or there's free services like Worth Hats that can help you with counseling. That's, that's meant for if you're not in an emergency situation. Um, so at any time in your life kind of thing. I really loved when you said that, um, counseling should be proactive. I think that Mm -hmm. that's, I think that in itself is just such a tweak in the mindset of people that are thinking about mental health. And I think the whole point is that with destigmatizing and, you know, getting everyone on board and on the same page that the fact is, is that everyone should be doing it and everyone that can do it should do it. And that it should be proactive. I never thought of it that way. That's actually such a great word. Thanks for that. No problem. It's definitely not my <laughs> word, but I've heard it in places and uh, it's, it's, I know it's like, I've years ago, I used to attend these like conferences that the provincial health authority would put on and they would always be talking about how can we provide proactive care rather than, um, need to have emergency room beds for mm-hmm. mental health patients. Like how can we reach, reach patients, reach families before things are at rock bottom. Mm-hmm. And that was a problem that they were all trying to solve. And so I think that is the direction that um, a lot of healthcare is going towards. It's a lot of um, trying to prevent, prevent rather than treat things. And uh, it's a lot cheaper to treat and it's a lot, uh, there's a lot better outcomes that way. That's awesome. Yeah. And just to like wind things down a little bit, um, 
what are some ways that we can support our own friends and family in similar situations? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> How can we support our friends and family in a similar situation, especially during these hard times in a, and in COVID? Just to cut in there, when you say similar situation, what do you mean? Um, just people who are struggling and who are needing um, help. Cool. I would say that I have learned that whenever a friend wants to talk to me about something serious and that seems to be bothering them, that um, you should never kind of brush that off. That if somebody is feeling something that um, that that is valid for them and that um, even though it might not be in your brain as bad as something else that's happening in your life or as bad as someone else's life, um, what they're feeling is valid and kind of listening to that and allowing them space to talk about those things. Um, I think being aware of what some of the kind of red flags to kind of recommend a friend to go get help, as well as uh, kind of knowing who to turn to if, if somebody comes to you and discloses this stuff to you and knowing what uh, not only kind of what the fastest way somebody can get treatment and what some how someone can get help, but also, um, if somebody needs help right then and there, what you can do. Um, so kind of have, building up that own knowledge for yourself will help friends and help family members whoever discuss that with you. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much for, for sharing your knowledge and sharing your experiences and, and sharing all the um, incredible initiatives that you're working on at the moment. This has been really, really valuable. And I think this has also been like a long time coming for Rithu and I, because we've been wanting to have this discussion and have this, um, just this topic of discussion for so long um, yeah. on our on our platform here and just um, be able to speak up about this to our listeners. And I think this has been really valuable. And I think there are a lot of takeaways with this and a lot of great resources that we could use um, to to better ourselves and help be better friends and, and co-workers and um, family members, so family members, that's weird. Um, <laughs> members better, of the family. <laughs> I, I also think that just allow us to be better mental health advocates. I think that that absolutely that is that is the whole point here. And I hope I hope that everyone realizes through this conversation that we all needed help at some point. Mm. Um, and that we hope that this episode made you feel a little less alone. Yeah. And remember to check in on your friends always. Yeah. 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 And thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Connor, uh, you can have a shameless plug moment. Where can people find you? Uh, I think the most entertaining place to find me would be on Instagram. Yes. Uh, which is C C R A C K E N. Um, I love a good story about a dog. And so share lots of stuff there. You've got great content on there. Like, incredible photographs and then you've got tons of um content of your dogs and like your place and is it on bowen island or Hornby island oh, okay yeah it looks yeah. beautiful on there okay yeah. Well, yeah great great place to work from home awesome all right annika where can people find us you can find us on our socials at here to chit talk on instagram for more fun clips and sneak previews or on our website, chittalkpodcast.com for other episodes, blog posts, features, and more. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning in this week. This has been great. This has been really, really insightful. And um, thank you for joining us. Bye. Bye-bye.